Welcome to Getting Personal with Daphne Bugler and Isabella Hobbs, your go-to podcast for all things emotional. Tune in weekly as we're joined by familiar faces from the worlds of sport, music, film, activism, and everywhere in between to talk about how emotions have shaped people's lives. Welcome back to Getting Personal. Our guest today is an Australian writer, director, author, and an outspoken advocate for neurodiversity. Her articles and essays have appeared in the Daily Telegraph, the Sydney Morning Herald, Vice, Bustle, Lenny, and the New York Times. She has written extensively on what it is like to be an autistic woman and her personal experiences since learning she was autistic in recent years. Her debut novel, A Room Called Earth, tells the story of a young autistic woman getting ready for and attending what is sure to be an eventful party. With each encounter during the evening, the vast discrepancies between what she is thinking and feeling and what she is able to say is revealed. This book is a highly personal and intimate adventure into the mind of one particular autistic woman and a fascinating journey of self-acceptance. A Room Called Earth is out now in the US and Canada and available for pre-order in the UK, Australia and New Zealand. This week we're getting personal with Madeline Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us today Madeline and thank you for sending us an early copy of your book. A Room Called Earth. Uh, Daphne and I finished it this week and we both absolutely adored it, so thank you. Um, would you mind telling our listeners a bit more about your book? Well, I'm so glad that you enjoyed the book. That's wonderful. Um, so I guess it's an adventure inside the mind of an amazing woman. That's how I view it. Um, it's a journey inside her feelings, thoughts, perceptions, different encounters that she has, how she cares for herself, how she tries to care for others, you know, the sort of tension between being honest and true to herself and also trying to, I guess, adhere to social expectations in different situations or what's expected through the different exchanges that she has with others. Um, And I think it is quite an adventure. It's a day in her life. She you know, cares for herself, then in preparation for going to this party and meets all these people, kind of goes on a walk on her own at night um, and encounters all sorts of things there, as I think a lot of women do if they walk by themselves at night, all kinds of parts of ourselves as well as the world around us. It takes on a kind of heightened quality and then she returns to the party and meets this, you know, meets this guy and it kind of opens up our understanding of her of him, of relationships and how intimacy is developed, which I think is kind of a miracle in and of itself. Like when you think about how many feelings and thoughts and histories and values we bring just as we are to any kind of communication that we have, it's a miracle that we connect with one another kind of through it all or in spite of it all, you know, with all the feelings as, you know, this podcast is focused on flying around. It's like the fact that we can find common ground and care for one another with all of that going on, I think is magical and it endlessly fascinates me. So the book is kind of born out of that fascination in lots of ways. 
Mm. I think I can definitely speak to both of us. When I was reading this book, and your language is just so beautiful. I don't think I've underlined as many words and phrases in a book since I was like, doing my exams at school and I had to underline things <laughs> to remember but you've got so many lovely gorgeous like delicious lines that I just loved but in the book it's it's so kind of specifically detailed that you can't help but relate to this character this woman and in my head reading it because it's it's so deliciously detailed it like the character was just you because I was like this has to be someone's diary almost because she's just such a well-rounded well thought through character and her emotions and her her thought process and her feelings just came across so beautifully on the page it was just it was just so lovely but my question going on to my <laughs> question is um how much of um you as as Madeline Ryan is reflected in your novel yeah well I mean a lot I feel like she used me kind of, you know, she used aspects of my psyche and way of processing thoughts, feelings, and situations. Like, absolutely. Like I became me, my life became her vessel, you know, in lo- in lots of ways, but there's kind of, I mean, the way I think of it is she's to me what I guess a child is to their mother, or it's like a mother to child thing. It's like, I'm, I'm in her, but I'm not her and she's of me, but she's not me. Mm. So it's sort of, she really did become, well, from the start, actually, from the first time I kind of heard her voice, it felt like she was an entity that I was giving birth to kind of. And it just so happened that she kind of required things of me, you know, to do with, I don't know, articulating certain perspectives and experiences and feelings, you know, she sort of wanted to use me and my mind and my thoughts and feelings for that. You know, there are, there are many points in which we, we part ways with how we might deal with a situation. I think she's a lot more, you know, she's kind of, I mean, I see her as quite courageous and forthright. And I think in my life, I've often, though I, maybe I'll grow into that person more. I've, I've shied away from, from that more than, than she has at the point that she's at in her life. So there are points where we, um, where we separate sort of too. So it's a dance between the two of us for sure. Mm. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, so obviously everything here, we talk about emotions, we get very deep into our feelings. Um, so there are so many questions quotes in the book that I've like same as um Isabella that I've underlined or folded oh, down no. just I, they I, were don't, so... I don't, don't want to conjure these these school vibes you know these exams no, no it's just it was I need them in my life yeah it's just like I know that in life I'm going to need that thought again at some point so the one that I wanted to talk about is um you said at some point about um so the quote is as long as we can turn our experiences into love there's no need to waste time and energy being frightened or trying to stop things and people from coming in or going out and I just thought that was so beautiful um so I wanted to ask you a bit about love and how you talk about turning your experiences or turn the character saying turning our experiences into love um and how that's a way to kind of stop being stop wasting time on being frightened is focusing on that emotion so what does love sort of mean to you and how has that manifested in your life and what are your experiences with that emotion? Yeah, well, I guess in my experience, 
like the cultural and social perceptions of love and definitions of love have been very limiting and in lots of ways, very caging because when I look to films or to TV, it seems like love sort of is just supposed to exist in these very specific scenarios, usually a romance, you know, and it's either there or it's not. And there's a lot of pain about that as distinct from this feeling of, well, we're all technically born from an act of love, ideally, and we're made of love and life is love. Like I've, I guess when I think about when I feel best kind of in my body and in the world and in relation to others, I'm cultivating love and compassion for myself and for others. And it, it kind of, from that place, it, it feels like it's so much more, love is so much more than, yeah, kind of like what we think it is in a sense, like it's beyond even our conscious minds, I suppose. So in my life, kind of shedding those definitions and ideas of it has been a real relief and to feel like, wow, actually love can also hold all my other difficult feelings. Like it can, and then it can hold other people's feelings too. It's like, I feel like once I tap into that space of love, you know, and I guess is what she's articulating there and use it to sort of have a bigger perspective on any given situation from there, all of that wonderful stuff like compassion and patience and empathy can be born and something that seems painful and can be so all consuming in the moment, like anger or like betrayal or like frustration or disappointment or whatever it is. If you can find a space of love around that feeling, it's like, there's a bigger landscape to it that's kind of can turn it into something that isn't just, you know, muddy and, and dark and frustrating. It's like, Oh, actually this is part of being human. And if I can embrace that and love that, then maybe I can embrace and love anything that occurs no matter how difficult it is, you know, ideally (laughs) that'd be nice. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's been true in my life. Having that perspective on love has certainly helped feeling like it's everywhere rather than just these places in particular, you know, for sure. Yeah, I can definitely agree when, um, I think too often when you, if you ask someone like, Oh, what is love? They'll immediately go to like a heteronormative. Oh, it's my husband. It's my wife. But, um, with the risk of being a bit like cliche, love, love, like you said, love is all around. It's not, Mm. it's not those kind of stereotypical things. It is, it is in the small things as well. Like the, the, the purest form of love can be just maybe a feeling you get one day sitting in the sun and feeling at peace with yourself and your body and your surroundings. Um, that is love. Yeah. I completely agree. Lying on the grass in the sun, feeling the body, (laughs) feeling the earth, you know, what, yeah, those moments that, yeah, absolutely. If we move on a bit to fear and the idea of fear, um, what are your kind of experiences with that? What comes out to you as a poignant moment where you felt that emotion and where um, you had to kind of face fear or you, you know, maybe were consumed by it? And um, what's that kind of mean to you? Yeah. So to me, there's kind of, I mean, I don't like to create polarities and like there's this kind of fear and then there's this kind of fear. But of course my mind went straight to creating that, which was, you know, there's the kind of 
moments of fear where you're literally being chased or you're literally being physically threatened and you have to deal with that in the moment immediately, all those instincts take over. There's that fear, that primal physical present moment. I'm an animal. I need to get out of this or fight this or whatever it is. Like there's that fear. And then there's the fears that I think on some level are emotional, spiritual, psychological that kind of haunt us and come from wounds that we've had throughout our lives, like not just through childhood necessarily, but kind of become imprinted and a part of us, some that we don't even notice becoming a part of us, but they do. They're a bit more slippery and insidious in lots of ways, I think. And I am obviously autistic and my most palpable experiences of that kind of emotional, spiritual, psychological fear is when I'm having a meltdown. And it's like this sense of helplessness. It's like, usually for me, it kind of gets triggered by not being able to find the words to express myself in kind of a heightened situation, like where I'm trying to get a point across or I'm trying to be understood or you know, and it can kind of happen almost anywhere with anyone, but it on different scales. Um, it can kind of implode inside in a public situation and I'm containing it or, you know, at home, it can be more likely to be quite explosive. Like I haven't, cause I feel safer, I think on some level. So it's more likely to kind of all come out. I mean, I haven't had a huge amount of them lately and they can kind of come in different waves and there's way to, ways to sort of feel that the fear is like bubbling up um, just through getting to know myself a bit better and stuff. But the feeling of it at its core is this kind of helplessness, sense of overwhelm, both like in terms of the physical senses, like there might, if there's yelling or someone right there needing an explanation or whatever it is, like there can be that stimulus and then my thoughts and then all the feelings. And it's like this complete unlocking of all of it that just then can't be stopped. It's like, it's almost, I mean, I don't want to say like being possessed, but there is this sort of quality where it's just like this outpouring of emotion and there would almost be too many to name coming through. It's like a waterfall. It just, you know, and I've learned that often the best way to handle those moments is like they're a wave and to just ride them sort of through until their conclusion. Cause they do pass. It's like, I can't imagine. I mean, I understand that a lot of, for a lot of parents dealing with an autistic child to see their child going through, this would be so frightening and you just want to hold them and like stop it. And it would be confronting. And I can understand those instincts, but I know for me, and maybe it's the privilege of being an adult as well, but I know I just need to let it run through and to then kind of find the love space around all of that, you know, in all of its kind of horror and ugliness and shame and whatever all the feelings were, it's just like, okay, that's now come out. It's sort of, if that was a possession, then an exorcism has kind of occurred and it can be, I mean, I don't want to say cleansing, but I kind of am going to say cleansing because it, it it's like a massive um, outpouring and purging. And I mean, I also fundamentally believe that autistic people like the heightened sensitivities and needs and preferences of everybody. Like I don't exactly know how that's occurred, but in my experience and in what I've studied and observed about myself and others, there's this quality about autistic people where 
the feelings are amplified, the needs are amplified. Yeah. And the sensitivities are amplified. So I don't doubt that you two or anyone would have had those moments where the emotion, it feels so much and so big and so overwhelming that it's how are you, are you going to hold space for this and still love yourself when that's there or communicate it to someone else, how you're feeling or whatever it is, you know? So yeah, my experience of fear when it isn't that immediate physical space is often those moments because of how out of control they can feel too and kind of learning to give them love and a kind of space and and mastery, I guess, has been a huge part of my life. Yeah. Your Um, descriptions of um, an autistic meltdown um, seem to have a lot of similarities with um, certain panic attacks. So that's so interesting what you've said about when you're in the midst of one to just remember that it is a wave and it will end because I've known people that the fear and the kind of, like you said, that feeling of being overwhelmed during a panic attack is the Mm. fear that it won't ever end. And this is just how you're going to feel forever. But then um, I've known people to, um, to take a picture before and not before during and after a panic attack. And they can look back on that and be like, this is me when I thought this was like the end, this was the most scariest moment. And then this is me like, not, yeah, like you said, like cleanse, like I've, I've been crying, I've been shaking, but it did end and I'm okay. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. That imagery of, of a wave. Yeah. Just ride the wave and you'll get soaked and you'll get battered around, but you (laughs) you will come up again. (laughs) Yeah. You'll walk walk into the sand and you will be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, I was really interested, you mentioned the idea of shame when you were talking about it. And Mm. I think that's something um, that comes with a lot of emotions and a lot of experiences is that sense of shame of, you know, should I be feeling this or is it you know, a bad thing that I'm feeling, you know, maybe fear in this moment when I, you know, all these people are doing it so confidently. And so is that something that you've had to navigate a lot when it comes to learning to kind of, um, you know, as we all grow up and we all, you know, became adults? learning to navigate those emotions but also at the same time that sense of you know what emotions are kind of acceptable and what aren't in certain situations is that something that you've um kind of noticed is that shame when it comes to different emotions yeah I mean definitely definitely um I think shame and fear are very close allies and partners um partners in crime kind of for people and I, and I've noticed that, I mean, it's very difficult being autistic because I kind of had to learn a bit manually what shame was because my natural instincts were always to just express, like I still go through this now, you know, just to express all of the feelings. And then, I mean, maybe this is what happens to everyone on some level growing up. I'm not really sure. I can't speak for anyone else in this regard, but even to this day, I'll be expressing something and then I'll receive some kind of messaging from someone else perhaps that, oh, well, this isn't the appropriate place for whatever that is actually. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, I better switch gears and like, remember that. Or is that true for every time I'm in this situation or just right now? And it kind of becomes this quite mental trying to work out, okay, well, why wasn't that allowed here? Um, and I think probably from having to do that over and over and over again, like, oh, not allowed to say that or express that in the classroom or oh, not allowed to do that or that, you know, when, you know, cause, cause dad doesn't, you know, like that or, Oh, better not do this. Cause Oh, boyfriend doesn't respond very well if I'm in that space. And it's sort of like this constant 
navigating. And then from that, if that feeling keeps happening in that situation and it keeps being, I guess, on some level told that it's not allowed or it's, it's not right or it's wrong in that situation, then inevitably a new feeling gets born on top of that feeling like that feeling has no place. And that's got to be shame there. Like to be told enough times that what you're feeling and thinking doesn't fit here, sorry. And if you keep going through that, it's like an accumulative sort of experience. And I think shame comes after all of those things. And I, I don't necessarily think it was my inherent nature to be shameful. I don't know if that's, if others feel that, or if it's like a learned thing through that constant process of like rejection kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, that's so true. The idea of shame. I think it is definitely something it comes and goes and it's something that I guess has to be navigated. And I guess from your experience as well, the idea of having to kind of, work through these different emotions in terms of how you comprehend them. That's, that's so interesting. Um, so if we look at kind of that idea again, but in terms of sadness and that very, I know there's a lot of sort of stigma in some ways around different experiences of sadness or even, um, you know, when it comes to different things around that, that topic, but, um, what does sadness mean to you and how has that manifested itself in your life and what kind of, what does that emotion kind of, bring to light when when you think of it yeah when I think of sadness it's like the chaser feeling like when you're drinking and people have like a shot to like chase down the drink it's like a feeling that often follows other feelings um it's like when when I feel like oh wow like beautiful look at this sunset or oh wow this moment I feel so grateful it's like inevitably then there's this moment of and I'm letting that moment go you know, you've always got to go to that place of allowing something to leave kind of, whether it's positive or whether you're glad to see the end of it and you're starting a new job or, you know, relationship or a new phase of life, there can be a kind of grief and sadness in the process of letting go. And so I think I often experience sadness. It's like sadness is kind of a part of growth and of giving birth to something new, like that kind of can't happen without sadness being present and holding the experience's hand in some way. Um, whether it's, yeah, an identity, a relationship, a job, you know, sadness will always be there as part of that process. And I mean, I think, you know, speaking of shame, I think there's also probably a lot of pressure to not feel sad. Like there's this sense that sadness isn't allowed either, you know, there's this expectation that we're all good and fine and doing okay and really well, thanks, like basically all the time. So to have any sort of deviation from that, especially if it sort of shifts into the the sadness, kind of feeling down, depressed space, people find that quite difficult. So you could almost relate all of these sorts of feelings back to that idea of shame and, you know, the pressure to be, the opposite of sad, like constantly. I can see that. Um, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of, um, sadness makes a lot of people just feel quite uncomfortable. Like, because they, it's not something that you can fix. If you see someone else being sad, there's nothing really that you can say that's going to instantly and in a long-term sense, make them feel better. It's just made me think of when I went through a breakup and someone texted me saying, Oh, how are you doing? 
And I said, I'm very, very, very sad. <laughs> and they said, um, oh, don't be sad. It, it doesn't achieve anything. Like, you, you, should, you should stop being sad. Like, kind of things like that. I was thinking, no, I'm going to be sad. I'm very sad. And I'm very, like, comfortable with sitting and crying and feeling all the emotions. Like, I know it's not what you want to hear. You probably wanted me to text back and say, oh, I'm fine. Like I'm, I'm dealing with it. Not, I'm really sad. <laughs> but yeah, but there is a shame. Like, like we said, yeah, like with all these emotions, there, there is a shame in expressing them, especially when you're expressing them so openly and honestly, um, yeah. which is not what we want. We want everyone to be able to, to feel what they feel and feel comfortable with that. Yeah, and for there to be sort of space and love around whatever the feeling is. And inevitably it's sort of... It, uh, if you follow the wave of it, it can pass a lot faster, you know, through that process of like accepting it and allowing it to move through rather than that pressure of like, oh no, don't go there. Don't be sad. Don't feel that. It's not allowed here. Shame, shame, shame. Yeah. It's like, uh, maybe if I just allow it and ride it and feel love for it and just let it do its thing. Cause it can be illuminating too. I mean, I also find that idea of like, that's not a productive feeling to be really odd. It's like, it, actually I find sadness quite productive in lots of ways because it allows me to let go and move on and go through all these primal human processes that are natural to being the complex magical beings that we are. So if we're going to argue about productivity, then, you know, we need to have a serious talk, but then again, the pressure for something to be uh, to have an, a fixed outcome is also very strange when it comes to emotions. I think, I don't think that's the right language or the right way to approach emotions at all. It, they're yeah. a constant process of unfoldment. It's yeah. so interesting because for me, some of the best life advice I ever got was, um, I don't know if you've seen Gilmore Girls, but, um, oh, it, there's I've an episode, yeah, <laughs> so there's an episode where I think Rory's going through a breakup and her mum just says to her, like, literally just take the time to wallow and to feel the sadness um, kind of as poignantly as you can, because there's no way then you can like, otherwise you'll just be pushing it down and you'll never get through this and you'll never actually find a way forwards. And I think I've used that in my life so many times. I think I've told Isabella. You, to you gave me that advice like the day <laughs> when, of my breakup. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it was very helpful. It, thank you. It works. And even though it's so painful, like going through it for maybe a couple of days, if you don't feel it, to its heightened state, you never can move forward. Um, so I think that's so interesting that you say that, but I'd also like to ask you about, I think you told us in your notes before about your kind of first experience, um, being able to kind of put a label on and identify an emotion. So I'd love to hear about that from you and about what that was and how, um, how that felt from your perspective. Yeah. So I'm like, often with autism comes a diagnosis of alexithymia, which is technically a condition that means it can take a while to put a name to a feeling or an emotion and take a while to even kind of, um, yeah, process and name feelings and emotions, basically, you know, something can happen and it can be like three weeks later, it's like, Oh, that was disappointment. Or, Oh, that, that felt really disappointing. It's like a delayed, sort of processing thing. Um, and I remember the first time, well, I, yeah, the first time I kind of accurately 
put a name to a feeling that was really challenging. Like I actually think putting names to the feelings that are technically acceptable, like happiness and joy and, you know, all of those which have their place and are just as important as the others. But I think culturally people are more comfortable with those. So they're sort of more easy to identify and discern between them. But the first time I actually identified a more challenging feeling that I felt didn't have a place and I didn't know how to express it and make sense of it. I'd had, you know, an argument with my father. I was 23. I was at acting school. I cannot remember what the argument was about. Like many of the arguments with my father, they sort of just, I don't even know how they start or how they get to where they get, but there it is. It happened. Um, And I kind of left the house and you know, I drove to the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne, which are beautiful. And I often run there when I'm in the city. And so I got out of the car and, you know, and I'm running and I'm running and I'm like, okay, let's just find some space. Let's just, you know, just empty my mind. Like, what is this? What is happening? And it was just, the word just came and it said anger. And I was like, wow, this is anger. Like my body, my mind, my whole state is anger right now. And it was this enormous relief. It's like all of a sudden I wasn't fighting it. I wasn't trying to work it out. I wasn't trying to make it better. I wasn't trying to make sense of it either. I wasn't trying to justify it or negate it or figure it out. It was just all I needed was the word of the feeling. It's almost like the answer to everything was just to name it and then let it move through. Like if anything, that process of constantly needing to figure out and label and quickly move on from our feelings, then you don't really receive that sense of satisfaction in just identifying it accurately, or at least that's my experience. Cause when I'm able to do that and to just sit with that or give that space and love, there's nothing more to say or do. That's just what it is. And it passes like however it came about, however it got there. And if there's any kind of action or change to be made, it'll emerge, you know, once that the height of that feeling has kind of run its course, if there's a choice of action that needs to take place or whatever, it'll just come, it'll be obvious, but it's like, that's a different part of the process, you know, just naming it. Oh, that moment when the sun was like there and the trees and like, it was just like, this, like, Oh wow. The birds were singing. The birds were singing. (laughs) The birds were singing anger, anger. And I was like, yeah, like, wow. You know? And I mean, I get that the alexithymia thing has become part of my life, but I also feel like, I don't know how you two feel about it, but that process of naming those feelings, it's not like we're ever taught. It's not like at school you go through this emotional intelligence, you know, curriculum. It's like, I don't know how people find that language. Like I'd love to know how you two feel about the process of naming, I guess, the more challenging feelings that you experience. See, I, I work in a kindergarten here in Hong Kong. So my, um, the children I teach are ages like two and a half to six. And um, what you said about kind of that release of actually being able to name that emotion really reminded me of this book that I'm obsessed with and that we bring up a lot, especially when they're yeah, about age four, and it's called The Colour Monster by Anna Lenners. And in the story, it's so visual. There's there's not very many words. It's so visual. It's so lovely. And in it, the character, the colour monster, he's all different colours, 
and he's feeling all mixed up. And it's because he doesn't, he can't name all his emotions. So he's just like every color under the sun. And then throughout the story, they, um, they talk about each emotion. So there's, so I'm going to have to apologize for the construction work going on next door. It's so loud. This is like the background um, sound effects for the anger. Emotion. <laughs> um, but yeah. throughout the story, they, they have happiness, sadness, calmness, um, uh, fear. They have kind of like all the emotions we like to talk about. Um, and in it, each emotion has a colour oh. and um, like this lovely description of like calmness is leaves blowing in the wind. Anger is when you is like a splash of red and you want to stomp and roar, things like that. And then at the very end of the book, the last kind of double page spread, uh, spread is all different jars and they've each got the emotion in and the colour monster is now actually his feeling is love because he's, he, he loves the girl that's helped him because on the shelf he can identify all of his emotions and he doesn't feel mixed up anymore. So that's kind of how we get like the younger ones starting to think about more emotions. And it's great for, for me, like if I need to get them to line up to like go into the playground, I say, how about we're, let's be green today. And they're like, Ah, and they all kind of like do this lovely Zen movement with me because, <laughs> because I think, uh, like, I don't think calm's a word that they would instantly be like, Oh, you want me to be calm? That means I need to like be quiet and listen or whatever. But if you think, Oh, let's be green. They're kind of like, yes, let's be, let's be the trees. And it's very Zen for me because they're not yeah. running around screaming at the time. <laughs> but, um, that is, it's such a great resource. And I think, yeah, definitely starting young, and like initially, all you need to do is be is be able to kind of like understand and name the emotions because yeah, a lot of the children, if they're kind of acting out and they want to scribble on the wall or they want to break something or like you can see it in their face that um, they're almost shaking, and mm. um, and it's like it's okay, like like what are you feeling? And he's like. I'm, fe- I'm feeling red and they're really like they love like, it's so much easier for them to have colors so it's like red and green so like how are you feeling I'm feeling green I'm good I'm green but red and it's like okay what do we need to do let's let's do five star jumps or let's squeeze something like let's get this emotion like let's make it physical oh wow this is this I could talk amazing. about I could talk about my little my little kindergartners all day I love them I yeah. miss them I haven't seen them in about six months because of Aww. lockdown and everything oh god <laughs> yeah I get the color thing though wow because mm. colors are so expansive in a way they've got this you know there's so much nuance to red as well it's like you know are you a fiery red are you a kind of pink are you a kind of like there's just a whole spectrum inside red that I can understand that the word anger like doesn't even encompass you know that to have red is really about the feeling and the oh I just love that that sounds so great I want that book yeah. It's, a, it's it's kind of what we actually like came up with the idea of the podcast when I wanted like, us to talk about yeah. children and emotions <laughs> <laughs> and we were thinking of like if we kind of spoke about like the idea of these colors and stuff like that and it led into our um, discussion of the fact that there are all these emotions that we all go through on such a daily basis and that oftentimes like it is hard to articulate them and it is hard like oftentimes like I'll just feel end up feeling very overwhelmed and then you have to kind of take that feeling of being overwhelmed and figure out am I upset am I sad am I angry with someone like why am I am I stressed and it's that sense of if you have this 
like even though like it's a children's book it's so relevant to like adult life and trying to figure I, out I read it when I was yeah. feeling very emotional I just read it through and I was like even if like I haven't fixed the way I'm feeling right now to be able to kind of just relate to this color monster who's feeling very mixed up and I'm feeling very mixed up it is yeah. um it's a it's a lovely way to kind of yeah like in a in a more kind of artistic way <laughs> to yeah. see how you're feeling yeah yeah, yeah. Totally. It is good to visualize in mm. some, like sometimes everything we hear about emotions is like a you know, verbal or something that you're reading and just words and as powerful as words are, sometimes it is nice to have that visual and the color mm. and the kind of, so you can think of it in a different way. Um, and also the permission really to have a physical outlet, like that thing that if, you know, you've got a child in front of you and I think adults would benefit from this as well. Like I like beating the bed or screaming to into a pillow mm. or, you know, gnawing on something or yes, yeah, squeezing something. It's like, yes, you know, punching a boxing bag or whatever. It's like if more people did that sort of thing and there was less shame about it that, you know, you, you know, throughout the day, look, I, I mean, I sometimes do this with my partner at home. I'll be like, you know, I'm just going to beat the bed for a bit, you know, feeling a bit overwhelmed, think anger's happening there, probably a bit of rage too if I'm like really bold with, you know, when I'm, if I'm going to go there and really accept it. And so then it'll be about beating the bed for a bit and then it'll pass. You know, it doesn't mean that I still don't, like that I don't have to deal with whatever contributed to that. Like if there's someone I need to be clear with or honest with or there's some change that needs to be made, like that'll happen. But that thing of like throughout the day having the capacity to say red like you do with the kids or, you know, and then be like, and it's also a way for people to not take it personally. Like I think that there can also be this difficulty where if someone's angry or sad or whatever, people uh, either see it as their their role to then manage that for the person or fix it for the person. I mean, it's sort of different in, I guess, a teacher to student relationship where you're literally teaching them about emotions and emotional language because you do have an active role there. But when it comes to, you know, relationships with our friends and family and coworkers and whatever, there can be this sense like, you know, that someone else starts to negate it or take it personally if you're angry. But there's, I think, something to be said for us each being our own little universe responsible for our feelings. And it is important to communicate them with others, but to also go through that process with yourself of coming to terms with those feelings, their colors, their names, the best things to do to help them move through you and to ride that wave yourself because no one else can ultimately do that for you. And it is ultimately no one else's responsibility, even if at some point you do need to communicate to them something that was uncomfortable for you or that you need to change or whatever. It's like that can come out of that process, but it can be very difficult when you don't have something in place to just move through the feeling with yourself first and find that space of love to then be able to speak from. I've kind of gone off on a tangent on that, but like uh, all of those things I think are part of a really important process. Yeah. Is that something that you've kind of learned over your life? Is that sense of um, like learning how to ride that wave and learning, is that something that sort of developed as you've got older or is that something that you kind of were taught from a younger age or is that, you know, that idea of learning how to handle emotions and learning how to um, sort of deal with them and move through them? Is that something you found you've got better at with as you've kind of had more experiences or um, what was that process like for you of learning how to um, sort of 
I guess, identify and then um, deal with in your own way, your emotions? It's definitely come later. And as I've gotten to know myself better, for sure. Like when I think of my childhood and teenage years and even into my kind of early twenties, it is just like a, a, like a, a, a kind of dark mass of just feelings, thoughts, not knowing where they belong, not knowing how to express them, trying this. Oh, that didn't work. Trying that. Oh, that didn't feel great. Oh God. Oh, just been violated. Oh, is that violation? Do I feel that? Or was that okay? Am I supposed to accept that? Am I meant to be cool here? Others are being cool here. Like it's like, it's just this mess, but somehow magically through that process, I think probably by the time, I don't know, I was in my mid to late twenties, although I think this kind of thing happens at all different points for all different people, you know, and I did a lot of sort of soul searching and I got very into self-help books and spirituality and psychology. And I was in therapy and like through that process, I think I was able to start finding a better language and putting um, like infrastructure in place for myself to be able to kind of exist in a more centered way amidst the turbulence of all the different feelings. And then the feelings became less frightening through that as well. Cause I, you know, but it, yeah, it just took, it did take time. It wasn't something I feel like I was born with at all. Even if my soul was kind of like yearning for those things and directing me toward them on some level, it's not like, like I had to learn them for sure with time and getting to know myself because no, like none of us would process things the same way too. It's a very individual, unique journey. Yeah. Absolutely. And so moving on to our final emotion, um, happiness. So what does, I guess it's in some ways linked to love, but, um, what does happiness mean to you and how, how does that look when, you know, when someone says the word happiness, what kind of, we've been talking a lot um, about the idea of we all have these sort of mundane things that we find happiness in. It might be, I think Isabella said the other day, it might just be like a cup of tea. It might be, you know, you go on a Starting a new series on Netflix. It can be the smallest thing, but it just (laughs) fills you with so much joy and it's still completely valid. It's not like it shouldn't fill you with happiness because you've got like the perfect consistency for your chocolate chip cookie and you've been trying all week to get that. I think all all emotions of happiness are completely valid. But what does that mean to you, Madeline? Yeah, so, I mean, happiness for me is a bit of an extension of the love, sort of uh, the way that we've been talking about love in that it is like a choice and like a muscle that I try to, well, that I work every day. It's like even through challenges, feeling that capacity to sort of imbue the situation with, okay, how is this benefiting me? How is this a lesson that I can embrace? How can I actually see this as a positive thing for my growth and evolution? How can I maybe even see how ridiculous it is ultimately, and then maybe laugh even. And then it's like to just have this awareness of, of joy, whether, as you say, it's in those smaller moments or having an orientation toward seeking it out in the present moment in whatever form. I think it's hugely powerful and magnetic. I think gratitude is a great gateway to happiness as well. Um, But yeah, anything from those small moments you were describing to sort of more, 
you know, those bigger experiences that you go through that are either challenging or elating or those moments where it all, you know, life just seems to come together. But I guess the problem is that people often just project all of happiness in a similar way with love being placed in these kind of boxes where it's supposed to exist and where it's safe for it to exist. I think happiness can get trapped there too. And people sort of believe that it's constantly out of their reach. You know, I think I often fell into that when I was growing up and I probably still do the sense of, Oh, once that's completed, I'll be able to be chill and like be happy. Like I'll be a happy person when I've gotten over that hurdle, whether it's like, you know, some work related thing or some, you know, Oh, when I move house, I'll be happy. Or when I'm finally on holidays, I'll be happy. And it's like this sense that it's somehow outside of you or in the future. And it's really easy to place it there. Like same with love. And I, I find that if I can wake up every day, and spend every situation sort of cultivating that feeling of everything is just right, just as it is. Even if it's challenging, I can be happy here. I can be safe here. I can learn something here. I think that's, I don't know, the stuff of magic and life force and just, I guess, bliss ultimately. (laughs) If that can keep occurring throughout the day, I think we're doing pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so are, are there any kind of like, if we have a, like we're going to do this kind of quick fire thing, not really quick fire, but if we said to you, what are the kind of like five small things, like, you know, is it a hot bath? Is it reading a good book? What kind of, would you say are the simple things that you find happiness from um, if you had to name them? I mean, I'm just looking at my beautiful scented candle burning now and the smell of it, pretty good, pretty good. Um, You know, talking with you and talking about feelings and having a space to talk, a safe space, safe space, love it, to talk about emotions, (laughs) um, always going to be down for that, always going to make me happy. Um, Yeah, a bath, a beautiful meal, Um, even a not so good meal, if it's nutritious can be very pleasing. Um, being with animals, being with my cats, with my dog, you know, becoming kind of falling into that space of having a, like a a bigger perspective of my life and feeling like, I don't know, those moments where I'm aware of my own aliveness, you know, it can feel really, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Magnetic. Um, and that can sort of happen throughout the day, which is nice. Uh, what else? Exercising, I find, like can I can have these moments. Again, it's probably that feeling of aliveness, like moving my body, breathing, just enjoying what it means to be a human being on this planet can be a very intoxicating, magical feeling. Um, but simple things. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Um, <laughs> I love uh, what else? watering my plants has become, I'm just looking at one now, has become a source of great happiness and seeing them grow and flourish. Yeah. I mean, the list could really just go on and on, you know, which is nice, right? Like if we really sat down and did it, it's like, where does it end? You know, then as you say, Mm -hmm. a Netflix, a good Netflix film, like, oh my gosh, what could be better? You know? (laughs) Yeah. It goes on and on. Mm. That's a lovely thing to think about is how infinite 
um, your list would be if you if one was to write down like everything that made them happy. That's filled me with a lot of joy actually. Thinking, yeah. Gosh, I could just go on and on and on and just keep listing, and it yeah. does it, it put things into perspective. And I I think I've definitely done that when feelings of being overwhelmed or like scared or really afraid, and to just kind of think okay, looking around, what, what what am I grateful for? Like you said about gratitude, I think that's such a great source of happiness. But like, what makes me happy? What can I be grateful for? And just like, even if it's three things that you can think of in that moment, like focus on them. And it does, it puts everything into perspective. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think that is a lovely note um, to end our interview on. So thank you so much, Madeline. This has been oh. so, so nice. And it's been such a pleasure for us to speak to you. And um, we're so excited about your new book. Um, and it, yeah. Yes. So thank you we so much. So yeah. much. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> when is um, so a, a room called Earth? What is the release date? So August. the release date is August eighteenth in August 18th. in the US Perfect. and Canada. Yeah. Yeah. August eighteenth okay. in the US and Canada, and then in the UK and Australia and New Zealand, it's early twenty twenty one. But August eighteenth. <gasps> oh, we have yeah. been so privileged to receive an early copy then. <laughs> oh, six months early in the UK <laughs> but, then. Wow. Uh, that's so. For, for any listeners that um, have been inspired by your beautiful way of expressing emotions, um, we can read more of your articles on your website, can't we? You certainly can. Yep, there's okay, a so whole... So we'll read through them and just wait for the book to be released in the UK. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was definitely. meant to be this year in the UK, but because of everything you know happening in the world, it got pushed back a bit. Everything was a bit in flux. But yes, please come to the website, read some articles, enjoy the book. I feel very blessed to have spoken to you Thank you. Thanks for listening to Getting Personal. Don't forget you can like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And give us a review and a rating. It helps other listeners find us in the charts. We'll see you next time.